Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. That, that's not right. What? What's not right? What's not right? It's one of the best and lesser known lines from Galaxy Quest. Oh, that, yes. 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 Um, which is where, in a perfect world, we would be tonight. Yes. That's would, true. We would be sitting in a theater watching Galaxy Quest on the big screen again, because it is playing in Kansas City. Right. And we did not move quick enough. <laughs> and oh, the the uh, seats that were available by the time we got really looked at it would have basically involved looking like looking this. Straight, up. straight up and my my you know my neck is not uh, as flexible as it used to be and uh, there was a time when I was younger where I would sit there and I would go to a theater and if I it didn't matter where I was seated you know yeah. you could sit there now it's like no I actually want to see the whole screen at like a real <laughs> angle it, I tend to enjoy the experience more that way sure um but uh, yeah, so um, there's a lot, and of course there's a there's a documentary uh, that's coming out yep. about the making of Galaxy Quest uh, from the CinemaSins guys, I think it is. Um, uh, it's from the um, Screen Junkies. Screen Junkies. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, that's getting a lot of of early positive buzz. So yeah, um, but we're here because you know. Staring straight up at a screen is not as fun as it used to be. Nope, it's not. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm Timothy Harvey. And I'm Jason Hunt. And I'm pulling double duty tonight. Besides hosting, I'm also engineering. How was your weekend? Uh, my weekend was okay. Yeah. Um, cats do, getting along? The cats are actually getting along pretty well. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know, I have a new kitten who's very, very tiny. And uh, so she's her name is Moira, and she's about... Um, well, she's about three or four months old. She's very, very small. Yes. Little black cat with a white patch on her chest and one down in her belly and a little tiny white, like, collection of white hairs on her hip. It was just like out of nowhere. It's just like, I thought there was something, I thought she'd got some, something on her. Paint? Yeah, or, or she, you know, uh, but, uh, yeah, so she's, she's very sweet and she's very climby, climbs over everything. <laughs> Um, and the, the first day that she and Hamish, who is my, uh, two and a half year old cat, who is a very, I mean, he's big, he's, he's gotten to be quite large. He stands up on his hind legs and his head hit, reaches my hip. Um, and so the first day, of course, they were all very hissy and, and, you know, clawy at each other. And by, di- by the end of day two, um, they were tussling and, and she wants to play all the time. And he's just like, okay, now she, look, she's kidding. I would like to take a nap, and you are interfering with my nap time. Uh, but she's very brave, and so she continually fights him. So we, yeah, it was it was a nice weekend. I uh, um, I slept a lot, which was also really, really nice. That's I don't okay. I don't get a chance to just you know I'm gonna take a nap this afternoon and just you know take a nap. It's nice. So I'm I'm <sighs> over the weekend. I. Uh... Painted the kitchen at the house. It's now yellow. 
or as as Sherwin Williams calls it, Butterfield. 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 Okay. Butterfield. I call it yellow. Kind of a golden rod, mm. you know. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, mustard. Yeah. French. French. Not straight mustard. French mustard. Just a little darker. <laughs> a little darker. Than sure. bright. It's not bright yellow. Um, it's not lemon yellow. Mm-hmm. But uh, it doesn't look like butter to me. It's 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 too. It's too saturated mm. in color for butter. I'd I'd say it's probably more of a. Um, mustard color i guess <laughs> on our next episode we'll be breaking down the different shades of white <laughs> ecru ecru well the funny part is is the the kitchen is trimmed in white all the cabinets are yeah. white all the trim around the doorways are white and so as you know i've i've got everything taped and the original color was a granny smith apple green mm, right yeah and so uh, as I'm taping everything off, I'm noticing this wasn't taped off very well the first time because there's green. Now, when I paint the walls yellow, there's still some green around where the trim was. So now I'm having to go back in with the white and redo some of the, you know, detail in some of the trim. And it's getting on the yellow. So <laughs> I just finally had to abandon. I was like, okay, it's as good as it's going to get. I'm done. So the kitchen is now yellow, and then today we spent. The reason I'm engineering as well as hosting is that we had a had a day procedure. We uh, we make the joke that Mindy spends a lot of time in a hospital bed, and today she was in a hospital bed again um, after some kidney surgery. So she's recovering from that, and uh, so now I'm, I'm leaning in and I'm looking, I'm looking across <laughs> the studio at the at right. the computer monitor because what we were hoping to do was put I'll show with the, where's the bump shot here, where the um, H two O podcast got, is now oh, available shush, shush, shush. on iHeartRadio. Shush. Yes. Yes. We know. Um, so this monitor here, this TV monitor to my right. The the plan was to take the control panel stuff over there and throw oh, it up sure, here so okay. it'd be easier that I could see what I'm doing. Right, yeah. Because our chairs are far enough away from, from the control panel that... Sadly, that is not... Those of you who might be watching this live or on video get to watch Jason squint a lot. Yes, I and I squint a lot anyway. Um, but now even more so. Uh, yeah, well... Um, yes, uh... Thomas in the chat says, blame the painters. Um, yeah, <laughs> that works. So, uh, <clears throat> now, uh, speaking of the live chat, uh, it is open and available for anybody who wants to share their thoughts and comments as mm-hmm. we go along on this. And uh, the live chat over on both channels, the YouTube and the Twitch channel, they're both open. And we've got our monitors sitting here so we can see them. Um, And if you are just now finding the channel, you're just now finding the show, welcome. We thank everybody for for being here tonight. And if you like like what you see, give us a thumbs up. Uh, Consider subscribing so you know. uh, Get a notification when when, uh, 
whenever we post new content, which we do every week. It's, uh, it's an easy way to support the channel. And if you want to support the channel in a financial way, uh, we've got a couple of ways you could do that with the super chats Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the super stickers, which are the things that you can do during the live chat over on YouTube. And then in the show notes, we've also got a link to our PayPal tip jar. And then, of course, we've got our Subscribestar account that you can uh, donate to as well. That's on a monthly thing. It's kind of like Patreon. And then, of course, if you're into getting stuff, you can save 10% when you go to SuperheroStuff.com. Use the promo code... Sci-fi for me ten, and get a discount on stuff. All right, so that's that's the uh, the major portion of the button pushing that I have to do tonight. So I think we're okay. We we still still don't have all of our close-up cameras working yeah. because now we we found another camera that we plug in with the with the S video cable, and now both cameras are doing that little. F- Fritzy, fritzy thing oh, across good. the picture. So I, I don't, I don't know. Thomas says, the asparagus, put away the fans, finished a script, installed some Christmas lights. There you go. It is not time for Christmas yet. He didn't say turn them on. Well, he installed. Yes, true. He installed. That's true. He installed. And We're he not- could have installed them at work. That's true. That's a that's that's a possibility too. You know, I I'll tell you what. Um, uh, in my in my retail days. Um, when I was working for Borders Books and, and uh, was the merchandising manager for the store, uh, on Thanksgiving, I would get up and I would go to my parents' house and have lunch. And then I would say, I'll see you guys later. And I would drive to my store mm-hmm. and I would start setting up for Black Friday on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. And then I would go have dinner at my folks house and then i'd go back to the store for black friday and <laughs> so get to keep working on setting up the store for black friday uh, i don't regret i don't regret not doing that anymore at uh, all you know when they started doing the whole when i was the the first time i was married when they started going to the midnight sales sure right yeah huh? I was done at that point. I, I've never really been a big fan of the whole Black Friday thing mm-hmm. anyway. I don't like crowds. I don't like getting out right, into yeah. people because it's not it's not a phobia, you know, with crowds or anything. I'm not claustrophobic right, or anything. Sure. I, I just don't like people. <laughs> and and that many people just compounds the problem. So I have avoided Black Friday a lot. And then they start doing the midnight sales, the overnight things. I was like, no, yeah, enjoy the holiday. It's a holiday. And uh, don't be so <clears throat> much in a rush to get to the next one. You know, it's it's irritating. Well, and if, if for all the criticism, and, and certainly we've made some of it here, um, the, the omnipresence of the internet and being able to buy things and get things instantly. and We've complained about the internet? A couple, three times. Um you know, it's basically driven a stake. It's a slow motion stake, staking, but it's driven a stake through the Black Friday idea. I mean, there's certainly... Well, and you have, basically, you have Black Friday, you have, um, what what's Monday called? Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday, yeah. And so. e- but, even, but even that is basically just, it's a little marker. It's the, it's the way for them to, 
for the retailers to sit there and go, here's a day we're going to measure numbers on and All talk right. about versus the, every other second of the day that they're doing the same thing. Uh, but I'm, now it's, you I'm know. i adjust the camera uh, shot. It's not so much a, uh, you, don't, you don't have to deal with Black Friday anymore if you don't want to. Uh, and I do not. In fact, I'm pretty sure that I bought like one thing in the store for someone for Christmas last year. Everything else I ordered online, and I did it without any shame. <laughs> well, you know, shipped happens. it directly to people's houses. Here, here's your Christmas gift. It gets Tom, there when it gets there. <laughs> yeah. Thomas says retail is always two to three months ahead. I know, but still. Oh yeah, well, and and as a as a retailer, I get it. I spent you know I spent 15 years in the retail world uh, of of. You know, basically dealing with the holidays as being a marketing thing, and quite frankly, I have I I actively dislike about ninety nine point nine percent of Christmas music because I couldn't get away from it. Yeah, and it was always there, and it doesn't matter. And you know, I'm I, I'm I'm happy that people enjoy the th- the stuff, mm-hmm. but there was a time when, quite frankly, that uh, and it's it's a terrible joke now. I mean, it, 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 it it's really not a funny thing to say, but there was a time when it'd be like. Christmas-related shooting by, you know, hearing, um, <laughs> you know, Blue Christmas one more time. Right. It, you know. Th- by, well, which which Blue Christmas, though? Any of them. <laughs> I think I moved that camera too far to the other side. But, but you know, to, to, it, and it literally was one of those things where because I couldn't get away from it, it just, I lost the what, hope, hopefully, you know, if you, Christmas music is something you enjoy, it's a, it's a cool time of the year for you. Um, but when you can't get away from it, it's not any fun. And it started back when I was doing in my movie theater days, uh, where, of course, you can't get away from the eight-hour loop. Sure. And if you worked a, a double shift at the movie theater on a Saturday, you got to hear all the Christmas music again and, and again, again and again. Yeah. <clears throat> it was a dark time. I still haven't quite recovered, as you could tell. <laughs> <laughs> the Jingle Bells... Make me no, oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, because I work from home and or have worked from you know basically dri- you know drove for the last four years, uh, the, the, I guess I go well no, for four years I drove for a living. Uh-huh. For the last year I've worked from home. Um, I don't have to worry about that. In fact, I'm pretty sure that I only heard Christmas music when I went out last yep. year, and um, haven't heard it anywhere in this house yet. No, you're not going to hear it in. You're fine. Uh, it's, I'll do it it's out. well, and you know, and then of course, you know, you've got um, the advantage that we have of working for ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's, it's essentially, I mean, you're working from home. I'm working from home. We can control. Oh yeah. What music plays in the office? So that's yeah. that's an advantage I had, there. I, 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 I listened to four hours of podcasts today, just sitting at my desk <laughs> and actually working. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of which, um, Friday night, this past Friday, mm-hmm. uh, what three days ago, uh, it, there's a delay on the video between when we're talking and. So are you look? What are you looking at? Oh, you're looking at Thomas's yeah. mm-hmm. last comment, right? Um, Last Friday night, we had a, a live edition of The Ranker Pit, mm-hmm. where we talked about the first two episodes of The Mandalorian. And uh, 
we had a guest in the chat. Drunk 3PO showed up in the chat. So he's a, a member of the Fandom Menace, the Geeks and Gamers crowd oh, okay. over there. So Geeks and Gamers, we connected with them over Star Wars Celebration. Hmm. So the world keeps getting smaller and smaller and connections and people sure. are showing up and saying hi and whatnot. Uh, but you can check that out. And it appears we have... A YouTube stalker. Uh-oh. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, maybe not necessarily a stalker. Because stalker is generally not a phrase one wants to hear. The last five or six videos mm -hmm. that we have either either a live stream or an upload, it doesn't matter, either one. The last five, five or six pieces of content that we've done, mm -hmm. somebody is throwing a thumbs down on it almost immediately every single time oh, well. i don't know if it's the same person if it is the same person i have a suspicion of what of which person it is but yeah we're uh we we have a friend don't care I have a you know it's <laughs> eh, okay well so. they don't have to like they don't have to like things that's okay yes so, uh, uh, Galaxy Quest. Yeah. That's our entry point. We're not going to spend the entire night on Galaxy Quest, but it does give us a starting place for everything. You want to hear an interesting, interesting uh, dollar amount that when, when you consider what we talk about now, when we talk about film releases and, and, and numbers, do you want to you hear a really kind of fascinating number? Sure. Do you know what the... Um, the year-to-date dollar total for what Galaxy Quest made is? Uh, I do not. $90 million. Between when it was released and, and now? And now. Wow. $90,683,916. Well, it was not considered a hit. But $1999 for movies is a very different ballgame. 1999. Is that really 20 years? 1990. That's why it's wow. that's why it's playing theaters. This I know. Well, I know. I know. It's a. It's a uh, yeah. Opening thing. weekend. Wow. Opening weekend. Uh, Seven million. That's it. And uh, U.S. domestic totals is only 71. So so think about what, that. What was his budget? 71, 71 million domestic worldwide. Only 90. So yeah. now these days the mo the model is. You're hoping gotta, to make. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta get that. It was international dollars. So uh, what, uh, it's I, well, I'm budget. What would, be, what would be the equivalent in 2019 dollars, though? Really hard to tell. That's, I think that's a very good question because the um, the marketing model is very different. I mean, yeah. it really is. It really is a different ballgame for how things are done. If it had come out now, it'd be a very different movie. Yeah. Well, plus the release windows have gotten so contracted. Between when it hits the movie theater and when it's on right, video sure. or when it's on streaming or anything like that. And now with the proliferation of so many streaming services out there, who knows right. where it would have ended up. Yeah. it. Uh, it you know, this is a film that originally had an R rating. Early. Early. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, um, and, and it was based on, I, I think, one word. 
Yeah, and you can still see you can Sigourney tell, Weaver's You can saying, tell what the word is. But yeah. she doesn't say We're it. We're not going to say it on this show because oh, no, we don't. No, we no, absolutely no. do not dropped, need to. Well, and, and back in the day, you could get away, I think if you had a PG-13 movie, you could get away with one F-bomb. Is that how the rule I was? I think you could have gotten away with the with a word meaning excrement, but I don't think you could have gotten away with the f bomb in a PG thirteen in ninety nine. I don't oh, think God. so. Um, uh, you know what? I'm not sure what the budget was on this. Uh, it's got to be in here. I mean, presume it's in here somewhere, but I I'm not it seeing be. it. Uh, it was not a lot of money, um, and it's interesting the 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 casting choices that might have been Tim Allen. Uh, who starred in it was almost left the film for scheduling issues. He was almost a star of Bicentennial Man, well, which was the Robin Williams film, which is about seventy five percent interesting movie and twenty five percent. What were they thinking? <laughs> Unfortunately, well, it's uh, and a Tim critical Allen 20... was not the first choice to play the lead, either. right? Yeah, because um, was it Harold Ramis was going to direct, right? And he, yeah, and he and he wanted Kevin Klein. And he did not think he did. Uh, now he uh, Ramus did come around uh, after seeing the film and saying, "Oh, Tim Allen did a great job." Yeah, but he was not. Yeah, he did not want him in the film. Um, now Sam Rockwell almost dropped out as well. Um, uh, but in in one of those mixed feeling moments, Kevin Spacey mm. said, "No, no, no, you should do it." It's like, well, okay, uh, and it turned out to be good advice. But uh, oh, Kevin Spacey, yeah, uh, really, well. must we? Sonia uh, showing up in the live chat. Welcome. Purposefully showed up late, and you're actually on topic. I'm impressed. <laughs> Quick, derail. <laughs> Let's see. What was that list of things we shouldn't mm-hmm. talk yeah. about anymore? Um, but uh, yeah, Paul Rudd auditioned for the film. Mm-hmm. Didn't get it. Uh, David Allen Greer was a second choice for, for Tommy Weber. Uh, Justin Long's acting debut. That's right. Because he was they, quite young at the time. Yeah, and this is before he played Mac in the Mac PC commercials. Right, and also uh, Rain Wilson's uh, acting debut. His first film. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, okay, so this is... I know this was before The Office, but this was his first time acting at all? Or it was his film debut. He had, a, he, had a, he had a soap okay. opera credit. He was actually appeared in One Life to Live. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, it's hard to imagine Rain Wilson in One Life to Live. Yeah. Kind of a soap opera, right? <laughs> well, you know, clearly he was probably playing a kid and somebody's kid in the uh, show. Yeah. I suppose. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, for those of you who, who watch the film and think that, that Tim Allen is doing... Uh, uh, a William Shatner impersonation. He was actually trying to channel Yul Brynner. Yeah. Uh, which. That's. Honestly, um, I can kind of see it just because Yul Brynner had his moments of. Because Yul Brynner was a stage actor. And Shatner had been a stage actor as well. I mean, this is, you know, we forget that these guys came mm. from the theater. And it is a. Um, not every TV and film performer left the stage performances <laughs> behind uh there was you could you can definitely tell the folks who who transitioned easily from the very distinct the, you when you're on stage you have to pro- project you have to perform in yes. a certain way and it's not always a very naturalistic thing you you you're used to that when you're in the theater you yeah, you have to exaggerate everything make right. it much bigger and you also have to you you as a a theater goer, as somebody sitting in the audience, you accept that stylization, yeah. uh, that it's much, much difficult to accept when it's 
a TV show or a big screen and yeah. kind of thing. And and Sonia, to answer your question, we got on topic fairly early. Um, and Mindy's not here because uh, you showed up late, but Mindy's recovering from kidney surgery today, so she's she's home in bed. So, um, but we're holding our own. We'll do okay. We'll fall. stay on topic. Nothing's we're, we're nothing's right. caught on fire yet. Nope, not yet. And um, I'm waiting for Sci-Fi Snob to show up and give me a hard time about not wearing a red shirt because that's coming, I'm sure. Um, which is fine, you know. I we. I, I think it's nice that we have regulars. It is. You know, people that although, show up when we although I would them. say, wearing a red shirt tonight would have been appropriate. We're talking about Galaxy it Quest. It would have been, yes. You may have let us down here, sir. Well, <laughs> although, see, but I'm waiting I'm waiting for him to show up because there's a story about the shirt that I'm wearing now. So, oh, you know, like it, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so you're... But you're right. It would have been appropriate to wear a red shirt. I, uh, I actually realized, I used to have, um, I used to have a red shirt, and I realized... When we had been talking about this a little while ago, I'm like, whatever happened to that red shirt? I have no idea what happened. I used to have a red dress shirt. I have no idea where it's gone. Uh, one I've got of, a few. One of my moves somewhere, it probably just disappeared yeah. along the way. Yeah, Sonia, I will pass along your well wishes. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's... It, it, it's um... <sighs> Galaxy Quest is one of those films that actually not every comedy ages well. Not every right. science fiction film really ages well. Spaceballs is one of those. Um, well, and and sad to say, outside of, outside of Mel, some of Mel Brooks' classic films, The Producers, Young Frankenstein, um, uh, Blazing Saddles, those are those are always going to be uh, high anxiety for some people. I think high anxiety is not one of my favorite Mel Brooks films, but it's actually aged well. Mm -hmm. uh, the you know, um, but certain uh, certain films just don't hold up. Uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It. I, I, well, I didn't much care for that one to begin with. Um, I, I didn't think it was one of his finest pieces. But some things just don't work over yeah. time. They just, you know, they're 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 a product of the time, comedy-wise, and styles change, and and sometimes poking fun at something like, say, Spaceballs, where you're poking. You, you're poking fun at Star Wars, but you're not necessarily doing it in the same way that, um, like, uh, Blazing Saddles made fun of the Western as a whole, mm -hmm. and and movie making as a whole, and all right. the different things. It was it was a broad target that enabled you to hit very specific things, whereas Spaceballs is a very narrow target. Yeah, and it's kind of like the it's kind of like the scary movie um, parody films. Um, which are a, not funny, and b, not scary. See, they're going to reboot the Scream franchise. <clears throat> See, the problem with rebooting the Scream franchise is that the cool thing about Scream, the first Scream especially, and, the, and for a series, it actually held up pretty well. You know, the film mm -hmm. there's there's a drop off in quality across the arc, but overall, it held, holds up pretty well. Uh, especially the first film, but the thing was, is that it was meant. It was an. It had an ironic look at the tropes of the horror film, and I'm not sure that you could do that with the same effectiveness now. Well, although you know, given the resurgence of the horror genre in general, yeah, but you, it, it I mean, gives you it gives you a whole new. Uh, it, uh, it sort of does, but the problem is, is that when you when you look at the the horror resurgence, you're looking at films that are the prestige horror films, like the the witch, yeah. 
and uh, uh, Midsummer and Us and and where these films are they're they're really diving into story yeah. and visual texture. I mean they're doing they're make they're doing their level best to give you something that is even if you took the horror aspect out, which you can't, but I mean if you even if you could, you'd be left with a story mm-hmm. and visuals that are interesting. Um and and then the other side of that, and thank goodness we were pretty much seeing, you know please let me be right that we've moved past the found footage. Because I hate, <laughs> do not like found footage films. They're, just because they're they're so often very poorly done. Right. Um but the other side is things like um you know the uh, uh, Annabelle and and the that possession the possession yeah. all this stuff, which quite frankly is super cookie cutter to me. Yep. And and again, if you like those films, all power to you. I'm glad you're enjoying them. I'm the uh, the, the the playground for horror is big enough for your different tastes, right? Right. That stuff doesn't do anything for me because quite frankly, none of that scares me. So. And, and I steered us slightly off into that digression so that I could say, at some point in the future, we should talk about what makes for an effective horror yeah. story. So that because there gives are a l- you a little bit of a tease for, for an upcoming episode. And the thing there, especially for you folks who, who join us, is when what scares you. Yeah. Because, again, horror is a very, very big tent. And there are horror films, some of them are very, very subtle, and are terrifying, and some of them are very, very big, and are terrifying, and there's this huge range in the middle of what actually makes things creepy to you. For example, um, if you found The Shining terrifying, you may not find Dr. Sleep to be scary at all. And quite frankly, I didn't think it was scary at all. But half of that movie is really, really quality filmmaking. And that is a topic for another episode, which we will probably do maybe next week or the week after. Uh, But speaking of big tents, Mm -hmm. as we were with the horror stuff, science fiction fandom Mm -hmm. has gotten very large and very broad. Mm -hmm. Um, And and (sighs) Galaxy Quest, what was it, in 1993, I think it was? No, 2013, I think, at... Star Trek Vegas, mm-hmm. it was voted, Galaxy Quest was voted the seventh best Star Trek film right. out of all 13 of them at yep. the time. And there's a there's a certain amount, you talk about space balls hitting, hitting Star Wars. Yeah. Um, Galaxy Quest does hit a lot of the Star Trek tropes. Mm-hmm. But it also, it also includes the fandom aspect. Yeah. Of things and at a, at a time like, when fandom was not a particularly, especially the convention scene, you weren't getting the scale that we get yeah. now. It wasn't the kind of the very public. There was still a certain perception that these were things that only the nerds went to, and there weren't as many. Oh no, no, no! If, Every city did not have a convention. Now, if you go, <laughs> if you go to our website sci-fi you click on the conventions tab. We currently have, uh, I believe, 1,642. Well, no, that number has changed because uh, Mindy, Mindy added, oh, I think maybe a dozen over the weekend. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're getting, we're inching ever closer to 1,700. We're about 1,650, 1,660 in there. 
conventions worldwide. Right. And it, there's a there's a Google Calendar embedded in there, and you can see on any given weekend, there's half a dozen sure. at, yeah. at the at least. There's conventions all over the place, um, and now, this is to say this isn't to say that in '99 that they weren't happening all over the place. Um, I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, right. which is not a huge, huge town. It's the big. It is the biggest town. In Kansas, that's not saying much. Yeah, if you've ever been to Kansas, <laughs> well, it's just it's farmland, right? So yeah, it's, it's not flat. it's it's not a perfect thing. Um, but we had, I think I think by '99 there would have been two or three, two maybe two long running science fiction conventions. One that ran through the '80s, and then it ended, and then one that ran through the '90s. Um, and it might still be the one that's going on now. Air, like Air Capital, it might be, but I'm not yeah. certain. Uh, it's been too long since I really looked at it. But <clears throat> so these were things that were happening, but they were also happening in um, off the the broad public radar. I mean, they were yeah. you know they were fans knew about them, genre fans knew about them. We just talked about uh, over on on uh, Tartar Sauce on the last show about how you know when we were watching Doctor Who on PBS in the eighties. You were seeing just the Tom Baker, maybe maybe Peter Davidson, uh, and and Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy after a while, but you generally weren't getting third Doctor episodes or things like that. But you would go to the conventions, and you'd sit in a room with thirty other people and watch the Three Doctors yeah. or An Unearthly Child, or you'd get to sit there and go, "I've i this is the first second Doctor episode I've ever seen in my life," you know, and that was just a thing that you would get. At the cons. I ran across a mention today. Um, apparently, and I was not aware of this. This is something new for me as well. Uh, when The Empire Strikes Back came out mm -hmm. in 1980. And, no, it wasn't It wasn't The Empire Strikes Back. It was Star Trek III. I'm, it was Star Trek III because I was doing Triple Bytes notes. Sure, right. When Star Trek III, IV, one of those movies came out in... The the uh, in the UK and mm -hmm. Europe, they had it was Star Trek three. They had a, a a little prologue, many narr you know narrated by William Shatner mm -hmm. as as Jim Kirk, explaining here's what happened <laughs> so far, and it's not in the United States release. Right, yeah. It was only in the European and, and Australian stuff. And it's now apparently out circulating around on YouTube. Oh, okay. Because it's something that it was it was a, it was on the on a DVD or it was on some somewhere somebody found it somebody located it and now it's over on on YouTube where you can find it. And it's those kind of things that if you were to go to a convention, so oh hey look what we found right and yeah. you know that's. We're going to do a screening of Star Trek Four, and oh, by the way, it's going to have the UK prologue. Oh, yeah. UK prologue. Tell me more, and mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And of course, you know, throughout the eighties and nineties, of course, you had all the bootleg DVDs. Oh, sure. Right. All the movies that never made it officially to home video. Things like the Fantastic Four, Roger Corman. Right. Yeah. Fantastic uh -huh. Four. Um, uh, strictly speaking. No longer the worst Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. 
In That's fact, very good. there's you an argument. There's that. an argument to be made that it's the second best Fantastic Four movie. You know, it it has its charms. It does have its charms. And you know, and that's another that's another example of fandom getting very heavily involved in oh, yeah. trying to get that thing out. And um, well, even if you're not fault, even if you don't want it, the fact that there is still a concerted effort to get the Snyder cut out. Oh, there yeah. are still folks who want this. And Gal Gadot, blew, Gal Gadot just, just sat there and said that she wants to so see did, it. So did Ben Affleck. Yeah. And so did uh, the, the guy who's going to play Shang-Chi in the Marvel mm-hmm. Marvel movie. So why, I mean, and honestly, if I were Warner Brothers, it, it, I'd be it like... Took off, it took off really big this weekend, yeah. this hashtag. Well, and you know, if, if, if I was Warner Brothers, I'd be like, financially... Uh-huh. I I would have somebody sitting there doing running the numbers and seeing, sure. Would this be would this well, be a financial many, benefit to us? How many different versions of Blade Runner do we have? Um, one <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> one for everyone's flavor. Uh, yeah, and honestly, I own three different yeah. versions of Blade Runner. Well, look at what happened with Sonic the Hedgehog. Paramount <laughs> ended up spending another thirty-five million dollars. Mm-hmm. To completely redo the design of Sonic the Hedgehog because of the fans. Well, yeah. Who came out and said, What are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was kind of a terrifying. No, it was. I'm not even even a fan. I don't, I could care less about a Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, I just like, it it would be like uh, if Superman came out and he was, well, he looked like me. I'd be like, No. Or if he looked like Robert Carradine. Can you imagine Robert Carradine as Superman? It would be maybe not quite right. Yeah, but for an Elseworlds story? Maybe. That could be kind of interesting. A parody? I don't, well, maybe a parody. Uh, well, and and I think that... I wonder if he's going to be in the Lizzie McGuire reboot. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know that's coming, right? It's all coming. At yeah. some point, you know, if, if, if your favorite TV show is off the air, when let's, well, okay... I take that back. There will be two shows that, as far as I can tell, are never getting brought back. Yeah, I'm never getting another. Never getting a new episode of Farscape, and I'm never getting a new episode of, of Firefly. Well, well. all right. No. And I'm okay with that at this point. Yeah, I've resigned and myself. Do not, do not give me the Farscape reboot. And so you know, we are not reversing our never list. Uh, we were talking about Robert Carradine. We were not talking yeah. about mm-hmm. a reboot. Nope. Um, mm-hmm. But the the idea of the fans having the impact that they do now. Oh, yeah. Um, for good or ill, you look at... Um, well, okay, yeah. Super it, Mario looking like Captain Lou Albano. Who's Lou, Captain Lou Albano? Oh, uh, uh, he was... Uh, oh, for heaven's sakes. He, uh, remember the Cindy Lauper music video, Girls Just Want to Have Fun? He was a wrestler. Oh. And and for a lot of people who are outside of wrestling, he was the uh, he he showed up in several of her videos as a, as an actor. Okay, um, I, I was not one of those people that paid attention to MTV at all when all of well, that was going on. Uh, and I and I wasn't someone who followed wrestling, so that's actually where I know him from. Yeah. But um, yeah, well, the you're right as opposed to Bob Hoskins. Um, <laughs> but the in the old days, you had letter writing campaigns, mm-hmm. and. And Which the is what saved Star Trek to begin with, and it, it really didn't require that many letters, all things considered, uh, because 
they were assuming that if they got X number of letters, it was kind of like, well, it was kind of like a, uh, if you would do polling now. Mm-hmm. You, you're assuming if you get a thousand letters, it really means you have 10,000 people or whatever, whatever the number equation breaks down to be, right? I think, I th- oh, I can't, I, at one point in my life, I remember, I knew what the ratio was. Yeah, I, I, at some point, I, I remember seeing it somewhere, but I don't, I couldn't tell you what it is. But, the, but, you know, you talk about the letter writing campaign, B. Joe Trimble and her husband, John, mm-hmm. um, do, organizing the first, actually two letter writing campaigns for Star Trek after the first season after the second season to save that show. There was a letter-writing campaign that said um, uh, uh, Cagney and Lacey. Right. There have been petitions now Mm -hmm. that are out there that, for good or ill, people think that they can have some sort of impact on shows like getting rid of season eight of game of thrones or you know something like that which on one hand you gotta you gotta appreciate that the fans care enough to go online and click a button um (laughs) well you know after two years who, which which one of us said that they should just shut up about the Snyder Cut? Was that you? Uh, I don't remember. I don't, rem- I, I don't I'm not, remember which one of us said it. I'm not sure that I don't recall either. Um, in some respects, you know, and honestly, I think that to to g- directly go to that point, um, for the argument has been for a long time, uh, from Warner Brothers' point of view has been that the cost of finishing the Snyder Cut, because Snyder, Snyder has, has not been, you know, he's not been trying to deceive anybody, letting him know that the film was completely finished. Right. There was a lot of work that had to be done. And that, that costs money. And the, the idea that they would release it with like animatics or anything like that, yeah. or, or is something that um, the studio, it's not, honestly, it's not in the studio's interest to do that. If they're going to put it out, they're going to try and put it out as, as glossy and finished as possible. Right. In most cases. Let me, in most cases. Um, and so the idea that they would actually spend that money with the expectation of making it back is a tough sell in most circumstances. The fact that this is still going on might be changing that equation. Well, and... and Don't know. Maybe. And to be honest, you know, this is not... This is not your typical situation. No. Because in in the past, you've had, you know, you've had fans have an impact on television shows. Mm-hmm. Jericho, for example. Yeah, I was just I was thinking of Jericho. Um, but not for films, not mm-hmm. for movies. This is a whole new realm of of fan impact, and, and I don't think that the Snyder Cut thing would be a thing. Without other other stuff happening. So yeah, there's a whole there's a whole lot of factors that play into this. Starting not least of which is that you know the reason he left the film, how, whatever other factors were involved, part of them was the death of his child. Right, and that actually had a reaction for whether or not you like Snyder's films or not. And I like some of them and don't like some of the other ones. And it's okay to not like his stuff. He's got a very distinct style of filmmaking and a distinct story he likes to tell mm. that isn't for everybody. There's just no way around that. But if you happen to have, I don't know, feelings, the idea that somebody would, you know, 
their kid is gone yeah. and and they leave a project. We all can sort of understand that. So there's whether you like we like him or his movies, there's a sympathy factor that starts things off. Well, that plus there's that sense of incompleteness yeah. where you know he didn't get to finish and there are people that are understandably curious about what it would have looked like. And then when 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 the movie comes out it's and not the film it, people expect it to it's be. It's not film people expected. And then, what was it? How many how many months ago now? Jason Momoa posted on Instagram that he's seen the Snyder yeah. Cut. Now suddenly, you know, it's a thing that exists. The studios, it's the not... studios have been saying for all this time, like you're saying, it's too expensive. We wouldn't put it together. It's not done. There is no Snyder Cut. There is no Snyder Cut. And then Jason says, "Well, I, yeah, I seen it. It's it's great." And he said and, it not too far out from you know Aquaman making a little bit of money. Yeah. So, so there's this momentum that's been building yeah. that I, quite frankly, for me, it was completely unexpected. Mm. Oh yeah. I I figured by this time, it would it would have died out. I don't think it would have died out. It would have still existed, but it would have been it, one it of those. It'd it been a background be the, noise. It'd be on the decline. It'd just be out there just a little bit. But, but interestingly not, enough, not you know, like we got the Donner cut eventually. But that was an anniversary. But the, the the thing is, is that again, that's fans. Fans wanted that. Yeah, that wasn't the thing that was just like Donner's. You know, Donner was like, "I got to put out the Donner cut." It was more like fans were like, "Could we finally see this movie that we all know the Salkins, Salkins, yeah, Salkins Alexander and completely Salkins. just denied us the film that it was supposed to be. Mm. I mean, blatantly did it, blatantly did it right in front of us, and then sat there and went, "Yeah, we we blatantly did that." Yeah. You know, <laughs> it wasn't even subtle, but. You know that, but that that was the kind of thing where I mean that took years, 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 decades. I well, mean, this the is fans, the fans are still you know at, you know we mentioned the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. There's a documentary that is out, yeah, about the film that was made mm-hmm. and finished and then never released. So, and that's a different kind of case there where we know the finished film exists. Yeah. We it's been confirmed. Some of us have seen it. Some of us have seen it. It's out on YouTube. Um, but until a, a little while ago, nobody nobody knew for sure that the Snyder Cut was even a thing. Yeah. And now now it's a thing. And like I said, you know, Gal Gadot's come out and said, you know, and done the hashtag, and Ben Affleck has done it, and it's. It's taken on a life of its own that I was not expecting. And interestingly enough, I think to, to again, however you feel about Snyder, while he has not told people to stop, guys, just just let it go. Mm. He has also been pretty canny about his. He's he hasn't made a big deal about it. He sat there and he's he's posted photos here. Every he sat there and said things like when Gal Gadot posted things, he says, "I agree with, I completely agree with this." You know, uh, immortal Amazon. You know, it's just all these things where it's like he's he's not he's letting the fans be the voice, which if, is if good, I was actually. if I was a cynic. If you were, <laughs> if I was a cynic, ladies and gentlemen, um, if and you have not noticed that Jason might have a tinge of cynicism in his life, just a, just a tinge, a hint. If I were a cynic, mm-hmm. and if I were to assume that Warner Brothers was this smart, which they're not, there is there is some question. Yes. Uh, yeah, they're not smart enough for this to be 
one hell of an ad campaign. Yeah, I. I If it and and honestly, if it were to turn out to be that, I will bow to their superior intellect. It would be so impressive, but I don't Uh, think they're that smart. That's that's Blair Witch level of marketing, and they are the gold standard for a terrible movie with a great marketing campaign. Um, But even that was. Nobody thought it was going to work like that. But to your point about the fans becoming the voice, yeah. becoming the 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 brand ambassadors, mm-hmm. as it were, or the advertising campaign, the marketing people, same kind of thing with Firefly. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you had all of these people that were clamoring for more Firefly, and we ended up with a movie. Didn't and, get any more series, and and, but, and realistically, if it was kind of in many ways. The fans got exactly what they asked for. Mm. They got a Firefly movie that was the TV show at yeah. the big screen. I mean, they did. It's a however you feel again. However you feel about Joss Whedon, the fact that he actually gave the fans exactly what they asked for. He gave them Serenity, which is a. I mean, it is. However you feel about the, I don't want to give spoilers for the folks who haven't seen the movie. Yeah. The fate of some of the characters. It's a superior adaptation from TV to film. You don't always see that, right? And well, it's one of my favorite. And I think it's it's one uh, it's one of my favorite films to be honest. I think yes, yes. Looking at Star Trek and and how they made the jump, you know, Star Trek the Motion Picture, mm-hmm. not the best Star Trek movie. It gets better with age, I think. And the director's the cut, director's cut, much better. Which which when you think about it is fascinating because it's not that much shorter. Than the original film. No, it's not that much shorter, but it's different. It's different, it's different it's, enough it's tighter. because there's it more really character is. stuff in yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And got that's the... what makes the difference. It's not the special effects. Although you it's can... nice to see them done. It's nice to see them. It's nice to, to hear of a final sound mix. Right. Yeah. These are all good things in a feature yes. film. Um, but because that, that was the that was the one thing that always bugged me in the Klingon scene. Mm, yeah. When you saw. The first ship disappear off of the mm-hmm. off the scanner, right? And you had the reaction to the guys, and they came back, and the other one was gone. Mm. It's like, well, wait a minute, where'd the other one go? But now with the final sound mix, the first one goes away, and there's a big yeah. And then as you go to the next, you get their reaction, you hear, hear it again, and mm. then you come back, and that other one's gone. So makes a makes a world of difference on that scene. It's 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 interesting how much uh and that was that was certainly fans would have there were I'm sure there were fans who were asking for the completed version of that film. But really that was a, a case of the studio and the director going, you know, yeah. wouldn't it be cool if we could do this and them going, yeah, we can actually can. And that was I mean that's that's not a, that's a, that's not an example of the the of fans driving it. Um, but honestly, that's usually how we get things like the different versions of Blade Runner. You get the director going, hey, I'd like to do this story the way I wanted to do it. And the studio seeing a financial reason to go along with that. That's usually how this works. And I would imagine that there are discussions like that being had about Deep Space Nine, about releasing all of it in HD 4K. Because they, because yeah. of the, the restoration of the pieces that they used for the documentary... People looked at it and go, "Well, this looks really good." The problem and the fans is fans are now coming in and saying the restoration costs the rest on that are are. First of all, the C, the series ran for long enough 
that the restoration costs on that are significant. And that, I think, really is the stumbling block for something like Deep Space Nine, is that the cost of the, the whether or not they could get the money back. Again, it, 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 as much as we would like to be anything else, yeah. it comes down to what you return do, on investment. What you do in that case. And, and Paramount has now set a precedent mm-hmm. by making the change to Sonic at, to the tune of $35 billion more to their right, budget. Yeah. But Paramount is Deep Space Nine. And yeah. now that CBS, Paramount, Viacom are Rogers all back, all together, back again. together, you tell Paramount, okay, here's here's how you do it to start with. Don't, don't do the full seasons of DS9. Right. Give us the best of. Give us a best of collection. Do the restoration on those first. See how it sells. Oh, see, because I would, that would I, be your test That's not what market. I would do. I would actually do the final season of Deep Space Nine. I'd work backwards. Yeah. Because, because there's... The later seasons are so much more action-packed, special effects-driven. It's a special effects-driven show. There's no way around it. Right. But so much more happens at the tail end of the series that working backwards would mean that even if they sat there and went, we can't afford to do this anymore, you might get the Dominion War in HD. (laughs) And honestly, that's the stuff you really want. You want it all, but if you have to stop and go... Boy, we really wish we could finish this, but it's mm. just not cost effective, guys. We'd love to, but not we people aren't buying enough of it, right? Yeah. We just can't justify it. Get those get like the the last three seasons in HD and be like, that'd be nice to have the rest, but at least I have these. Yeah, I I don't know. I just Because, it, because it, how do you decide what the best episodes of DS9 are? You let the fans decide. Yeah. And, you, then, and then you know it and then the fans become involved. But how many have a vested interest but in But how much of that stuff is gonna fall in the latter half of the run? Probably a lot of it. So that's that's my personal suggestion. Paramount, you can send me my residuals for giving you the idea. <laughs> And I will happily turn around and buy a DS9 well, it's just like, uh, Blu-ray um, set. We just, I just got here, what, two weeks ago, or last, was it last week? The week before last. I've got the complete Batman Beyond yeah. on DVD. It's the first time it's it's been out on uh, on Blu-ray and, mm-hmm. and digital. So the, these kind of things can happen oh, yeah. if there's enough fan demand for it. And I think that's one of the one of the things you're running into with, you look at something like Star Wars mm-hmm. and... and not to get into the whole toxic fandom thing, but you know there is a certain group of people that are sitting there saying, "The Last Jedi is not what I want in a Star Wars film." Sure, right. And the Mandalorian is. <laughs> you and whatever your thoughts on the Last Jedi, good or ill, whatever, the Mandalorian feels like Star Wars. And it and it demonstrates that John Favreau and Dave Filoni are fans, yeah. and they get it and they understand what makes Star Wars tick. Whereas Brian Johnson, maybe not so much. You know, your I mileage think, may vary, but the fans are so vocal. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's the same people saying, "We don't like this. We do like this. Give us more of this." Give us more. Well, and I, and I think I think there's there's a curious thing that happens with with franchises like 
Star Wars and Star Trek and, and Doctor Who and some of these things, when you, you're, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for the people who are creating these things to some degree. Mm-hmm. And to give, to give all these folks the benefit of the doubt, for example, um, the, the JJ verse Star Trek movies, no matter what you do. Yeah. I mean, for all you could, you could make the best, just, I mean, amazing movie. It'd be so cool. And the reality is, is it's, an, it's not the original crew. It's not the, so you can't get around that fact. The yeah. Star Wars movies are the same way for me, especially nothing is going to capture. I don't care how, and, and quite frankly, you know, I don't hate the last Jedi. I don't, it's not my favorite Star Wars movie, but nothing that they give now is ever going to capture my watching it as a kid. Yeah. There's, so it's, they can, you know, I, I go to the films and I watch them and I enjoy them or don't enjoy them, but it doesn't, it doesn't hit me the same way. It doesn't, it doesn't, I don't have this kind of, it does, it's not the gut punch that it seems to be for some fans, but you you see it with the current run of Doctor Who, you know, they, they, you know, it's, it's, they made some decisions, they made some choices, they're doing a thing, and, and some people are just like, oh, you've ruined everything. It's like, okay, but every doctor runs for th- three years anymore, you right. sit around and wait. So it's sort of a, you know, if you, if you make changes or do things differently, you're going to have folks who really appreciate that, and folks are going to hate it with a passion. And fandom responds. They're not shy about letting you know what they think right. for good and for real. Well, and and Doctor Who's a good example of that too, because you had the wilderness years, mm-hmm. and without fandom, oh yeah, if people hadn't know, been all buying of the books and the audio and the whatever that was going on in in those in that time between McCoy's run being done and McGann's movie, there wouldn't have been McGann's movie, right? I mean, and even fandom, then, even then, McGann's movie was quote unquote a failure. Yeah. I mean, it was. It was supposed to be the American spinoff, and the American version of the show was supposed to run after that. And people like Steven Spielberg were involved with that. You know, there was talk. Leonard Nimoy was a producer at points. I mean, there's been there were a lot of big names attached to Bill Cosby at one <laughs> point. Michael Jackson's Michael name was Jackson. attached to this stuff at point. It was. It's you know these were these were things that were actually there were there was a a fan reaction on this side of the pond to bringing it to the American uh, audiences. And, and, but if it hadn't been for fans buying the Virgin books, buying the BBC books, uh, the, for, for reading the comic books that were still coming out for reading, I mean, all the stuff that, that, because seriously, it was not coming back. The BBC was not going to bring it back. Um, and well, it's just like 20th Century Fox. Nobody was going to, no, there was not going to be any more Star Wars movies. Yeah. There was just, we had the extended universe. People were, you know, fans were buying the books. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was all, that's all. Yeah, it that's wasn't going to happen. But then you look at some, but then you, in some cases, you get high powered fans who come in and, and make things happen. For however you fell, feel about the, the J.J. vs. Star Trek movies, you would not have had them if J.J. Abrams had not had the track record that he already had and said, I'm going to produce these movies. Except he's not a Star Trek fan. He's admitted as much. That's and that's well. And he made a Star Wars movie and painted it with Star Trek colors. And and that's and you can and that's a an argument you can very definitely make. But the thing is, it still happened because J.J. Abrams, who had this clout, um, that's true. If you had uh, uh, Russell P. Davies, if you know queer as folk, however you feel about the show, made him a success, and he was able to go to the BBC and say. I'm a Doctor Who fan, and I would like to bring it back. And they were sitting there going, they were counting their their money over here that he'd already generated for them and sat there and went, 
yeah, okay. You have to do it in Wales, though. And he was like, I can do that. Yeah. And ta-da. Well, and, and you look at the success of the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, Feige could write his own ticket. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and there are... There are fans of that franchise who are there as long as Feige is running things. Mm -hmm. Unless Phase 4 goes completely sideways, then everything should stay on track. Now, I think for for folks who are worried about that, I read an article, I can't remember who, who was talking about it. Uh, I can't remember which website it was on, but it was talking about how Phase 4 is Marvel's 1970s period. Sure, I can see that. And and for those who were concerned about that, they should remember that there were similar concerns among comic book readers in Marvel's 1970s period. They just <laughs> saw the letters columns. Yeah. Is that they weren't ex- this is stuff they weren't expecting. And a lot of these characters, you may not know them if you're a Marvel's fan who, who hadn't, you know... But... They have legs. They've been around since the 70s. Yeah. Most of the characters we're getting in Phase 4 have been around for 50, 60 years. And there's a reason they're still around. Well, it's Is funny. That... You, you mentioned the, the, the letters columns at the back of the mm-hmm. comic books. Yeah. Uh, that and conventions mm-hmm. were pretty much the only way that fans could communicate directly with the publishers. Right. Because... Especially back in the early days, um, now now you can still walk up to, um, you know, a, a Brian Michael Bendis or uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor and and Neil, uh, uh, Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. They're still sitting there at the table. Michael Golden. They're all yep. there. You can talk to the creative teams. You can right, talk yeah. to the people that are actually doing these things, and have those conversations one-on-one. And um, Robert says, I'm late. Can you start again from the beginning? Nope. Uh, <laughs> but hey, we actually... Should have been on time, we Robert. Started, we started. Should have been on time. And we were on topic early, so... But not cool. immediately. So you actually could have been a little bit later. You could have been late a little earlier. Yeah. And still at the beginning. Okay. To shame, you. You'll have to you'll have to catch it. You have to catch it in the replay, because this will be there. This will be there for a while. That's right. Um, but the the, the interesting thing, because you you look at how fans interact with the people who make these things. Now, with celebrities, with the actors and, and mm, such, sure, it's a little bit different because it's a little bit more controlled. It's a little bit more right. Yeah. You know, you don't get very much time, but. Yeah, you know, it's like we saw with Worldcon. Mm-hmm. You know, you could talk to these people for oh yeah, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And they were quite time. happy to sit there and discuss things with you. It was great. You made David Brin late to his panel. It was not on purpose, but know, boy, know, it was I so know. cool talking to David Brin. It was and you know, I, I got to talk to Alan Dean Foster. I got to sit there and watch you talk to Alan yeah, Dean Foster. It was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And as fans, mm-hmm. this is really cool for us, right? Um. It, we kind of act as the proxy for for other fans. For you know, sure, uh, right. we we ran into that with Star Wars Celebration this year. When we were the only site anywhere on YouTube that was streaming from Star Wars Celebration on the Thursday, day one. Right. Yeah. We were it. We were the only ones that got signal. I don't know how we managed it. <laughs> 
And then uh, we, and we're going to circle back around to Galaxy Quest a little bit more because there's pieces of that that yeah. factor into this. Um, where, you know, we're, we're there and we're walking the floor of Star Wars Celebration and the fans, the Star Wars fans who are not able to be there, they're watching our stream and they're like, can you go back over to the fun yeah, uh, Can you go back over to the Lego? Right. Can you see, was that, is it over there? Let, mm-hmm. let me see, what's what's that over there? And she showed. And so they were at, they they yeah. were interacting with us throughout the week, throughout the day, asking us to go to various different places so they could see all of the things that are right, going yeah. on. And it was, it was, it was very, it was fun to have that kind of interaction with other fans and do something that, that nobody, nobody was doing. And you look at a movie like galaxy quest, for example, Mm -hmm. which is one of the few that show the, the, the convention side of things, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's where it starts and that's where it ends at the end. You don't get very many stories that, that deal with that aspect of right, things. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, there have been a couple of episodes of Smallville, for example, I think, mm-hmm. where there's a convention or whatnot. But there's not that many. No, and, and sometimes they're actually... Um, uh, okay, so sometimes they show up in in um, genre fiction, television, not always in the kindest of ways. There were a couple episodes of Castle that... In the early days of Castle, uh, there was one that was funny as all. Well, get they well they, they, they leaned into Firefly real heavily. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, but there's it's that sort of thing where where Nathan Fillon was was the you know he was his relationship with fans has always been a fairly positive one. So you have this kind of um, give and take there where his own excitement about doing you know his love for Firefly becomes. Uh, gives it a sympathetic view, but we've seen other things where you know I I have a vague memory of a Law and Order episode from yeah. uh, you know and and as much as as much as I loved Law and Order, um, watching uh, probably one of my favorite legal shows, there are times when they bring in the anvil <laughs> and they take the anvil and go, "Have you seen this anvil? Take the anvil!" Yeah. And you're like, "Okay." Um, so you know, there's uh, we we had talked to Gil Gerard at one point, mm-hmm. uh, Buck Rogers, and he was working on a book or a comic book or some story that I believe was a murder mystery that takes place at a at a comic book convention. Yeah, uh-huh. something like that. Um, I don't know what's happened to that. I don't know if it's if it's still a thing or not. I don't, I don't see anything else about it. But the convention circuit. On the inside is, you know, it's fairly tame. You know, you go, you see all the stuff, you know, you buy your tchotchkes or whatever that you want. Mm -hmm. You get your collector's items and your, you know, the issues that you're missing to complete the run or whatever. Um, But on the outside, I think, you know, you had talked earlier about people kind of looking a little askance. At well, especially I think you still get a little bit of that. Maybe not as much because of the movies. Yeah, I think I think the movies but... really open that up to a lot of fans, and I think that they're for good and for ill. We've talked about the 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 fact that some of these conventions have become big media events versus um, comic book conventions yeah. or genre conventions. They've been much more become here's the new Marvel movie, you yeah. know, thing. And and that's a, that that's got a, a negative sign to it because you end up. 
well, while you've opened it up and you've made it something that doesn't necessarily have, for some people, you know, comic books and it has a certain stigma, and it still does. Yeah. Genre stuff has a certain stigma. Even though the fact that, again, science fiction and horror and fantasy have exploded into the world in very big ways right now, um, there are there are folks who will sit there and go, yeah, I watch every Game of Thrones episode and... Well, I don't. I don't like science fiction. It's like okay, whatever. Yeah. Um. You know, and and you you still run into that, but things like Galaxy Quest gave you this view, and it's such an affectionate view of the geeky, nerdy, Fandom, out yeah. pseudo outcast. They they play up the outcast thing a little bit, um, and quite frankly, considering that most of us in that group of people have embraced it as it is. And we've been there ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And so in some respects, while we have conquered the world, <laughs> it still feels a little strange because Well, and I think part of that, and I've seen I've seen this point made in a couple of different places where you have two groups now in fandom. You have those of us who have been fans since the beginning <laughs> who were the persecuted ones. Yes, we are the uh, ones uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. suffered all of the slings and arrows and insults and uh-huh. harm. Right? We were we were fans before we were fans before the band was cool, man. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh, and then sure. you've got the the newbies who are coming in because of the superhero movies right, mostly. Yeah. But you know, the resurgence in the horror films probably mm-hmm. doing something of that as well. But now you've got all of these fans who have glommed on to this thing because it's cool, because it's popular, not understanding what it's really about. And you've got a certain uh, you've got a certain amount of gatekeeping going on now yeah. because oh well we're fans too now and how and and you can't be like that. It was like no 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 no. We're the OG fans. <laughs> we decide. We're the ones oh, yeah, yeah, who, yeah. who get to okay. say. I'm, I'm going. I'm going to say. On one hand, I completely get it. On the other hand, um, get over it. Yeah. And here's why I get over it. Okay. Um, and I don't expect anyone to listen to me when I say this. Wait, what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't matter. It honestly doesn't matter. Let them in and let them play. Because the sandbox is better when there's more of us in it. When you look at yeah, oh, I'm not talking about. I'm not. We can shut Twitter down, and I'll be fine because some <laughs> yeah. of these people could just shut up. But yeah, Twitter, Twitter needs to. It's a cesspool, burn. and it needs to burn. But here's the thing: is that um, a lot of these folks didn't just come in through the movies. That's the obvious route. A lot of these folks came in through TV shows like American Horror Story, or Hannibal, or they watched. Um, you know, they caught. Uh, uh, over heaven's sakes. Um, the Abyss, yeah. uh, or or The Expanse. I'm sorry, The Expanse. The Expanse. Um, <laughs> and you know they're they're catching some of this stuff that's running on you know Sense Eight or something else. You know, one of these things that's popping up on one of these streaming services, and suddenly it's there. Or they've watched, uh, you know, they watched The Flash or Batwoman or or Legends of Tomorrow or something. Mm-hmm. That's their entry point, and they're coming into this because this stuff has grown in ways. You know, we didn't used to have horror on television like we get with American Horror Story or Hannibal or or um, 
uh, some of the, uh, uh, Stranger uh, Things, Stranger Things, and all this stuff that you know this this stuff wasn't on TV. Yeah, you could you weren't shows like Hannibal on network television. You'd see it on cable, but you wouldn't. That's a Showtime. Yeah, and you know, and and suddenly you're getting. I mean, Hannibal. Quite frankly, for as much as I love the Silence of the Lambs movie, Hannibal gave that storyline a season. And I mean, you and and gory, gory TV show. And I sat there and went, "Wow, you guys are doing really interesting stuff with this." And you mentioned streaming services. Mm-hmm. Um, John Popham has has sent a a note over on Twitter, um, suggesting a topic for us, but basically asking a question, and and it relates to fandom as well because mm-hmm. you look at Star Wars, Star Trek, The Orville. Now all of these shows are behind paywalls on the streaming services. You've got Disney Plus, you've got Hulu, you've got CBS All Access, Mm -hmm. you've got all of this, all of these limitations now to Mm -hmm. who has access to these shows. Right, yeah. And he's got a very interesting question. I think it's worth exploring. Does that segmentation of access, what does that do to fandom? What does that do in in not not necessarily in the broad sense because of the broad sense we're all we're all still going to be fans we're going to we're yeah. going to see this stuff but that that sense of being the insider being on on the on the in you know I've knowing actually... you know uh, because I I still have not seen any of Star Trek Discovery except yeah. the first episode. Mm-hmm. You know, first episode, I watched it. I said, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna give it a shot. I'm going to see what it is. I didn't like it. I'm not interested. Um, I don't feel like I, sh- I, wa- I don't want to pay for CBS All Access for a show I don't like. Sure, I have no right, interest in. Mm-hmm. And now when you see, you know, the books that are coming out that are set in that, in that series mm-hmm. and you see people talking about it online or whatnot, well, now I'm... Now I'm removed right. from that. So I think I think there's a there's a good question, and this is this is definitely be a bigger a bigger topic. But I also think we end up uh, the way we watch things has changed. So because some of this stuff becomes available on Blu-ray, or you can get it, you know, once it's done its run, they'll sometimes they'll release some of this stuff. You know, through right. another avenue, or they'll give well, you a we discount. We did an package. unboxing here not too long ago. I we've got Discovery season two in the office, mm-hmm. um, and it's on Blu-ray. It's got all the extra yeah. features. So you've got all this stuff so there. You that, get that eventually. And so because we're binging now, in a way that we certainly didn't before, and because oh, that's changing. Yeah, and I think that also there's so much now. There's a well. We have a wealth of riches. We have. Too many riches to keep track of. Yeah. There are shows I have not watched. I have not watched a single episode of Arrow this season or last season. Or The Flash this season or last season. I'm, or Supergirl or Legends. Yeah. I am. I haven't watched two seasons of these guys because I don't. There's too much. There's too much. Yeah. And that's not because I don't want to. It's just I'm because I haven't sat down up. and just binged it all. Yeah, I'm catching up on the last season on those shows. I haven't, I haven't gotten to Legends yet. But I still have not seen any of Black Lightning. Yeah, which I've seen one episode, and I was like, "Okay, all right, this is this is good. I will I'll come back to this." And I haven't made it back yet. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that that I don't have time for is reading. 
Yeah. You know, you talk about watching, you know, all of these shows to watch, but there's all of these books to read too. I mean, we've Which got... is why, I mean, I'm, I'm so glad I got into audiobooks because I listen to stuff that I do not have time to read. Yeah. See, and I can't, I can't listen and do any of my production work right. or, you know, or, or I sometimes can do... when I'm doing stagehand work, I'm out of, I'm yeah. out in the field and somewhere, but I've got two two and a half u-haul boxes full of books that have been sent to us for review yeah and they date back five or six years mm-hmm. and these are books i just haven't had time to get to them and some of them look really really good them. don't they some of them do <laughs> yeah. and as a matter of fact when i was feeding your cat while you were in dc i noticed there were a couple of books over there that i'd given you for reviews and I haven't, haven't had a chance reviews. i know and i was like there's too much yeah and it's it's uh, it's it's the good news is is that you have those kind of choices as fans now the bad news is you have those those kind of choices choices right now well okay so where if if you have see and that that poses a challenge as well to introducing people to things i saw there was it was a it was a tumblr post or whatever about uh about fandom and entry points going Mm. into the going into the comic book store because I keep I keep seeing all this stuff about Harley Quinn. I think was the the example. Sure, right, yeah. And you know, seeing all this stuff because now we've got the oh uh, wow trailer. Uh, I, it looks I, it looks like garbage. I, to me, I don't but. I don't even I don't I don't even care about the trailer yet. Uh, it's, it's it's a it's a too far out trailer. It doesn't tell me anything. Um, but that, where is what is the entry point for Harley Quinn? Do you bring him in with the black label title right now? That's out right now. The first I've read the first issue. It's really good. I don't know where they're going with it. Yeah, but. It's also not. It's a. It's a quote unquote grounded Harley Quinn, and I thought it. I thought it was really good yeah. writing, and the artwork's great. But is that where I would start them? No, yeah. because I'd want them to know. Well, I'd start them with the animated series. Sure, that's where you start them for Harley, Harley Quinn, well, and then it, you can take them into you know some of the various comics. And there's you know, the the current yeah. comic regular ongoing series is a lot of fun most of the time. And, well, and, and I know. always, I, I, I've always heard good things about Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connors run on mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. Um, they get, they get high marks from fans, but they were talking about, okay, well, do you do the, you know, we've seen the animated stuff, there's comic books or whatever. And they were talking about how there are other people there in the comic book store saying, oh, okay, well, here's this, what do you yeah. know, here's this and that, and helping each other out sure. and and guiding, okay, well, making recommendations and here's what you Cause, do Because most of the time, one-on-one, when there's not the internet in between them, yeah, it's much better. fandom is actually much pretty friendly. But um, there's a lot of books, like, um, oh, I got into it, we, I got into a Twitter spat here about, oh, I want to say about three or four years ago, uh, over the Hugos, mm-hmm. and you know the the idea of you know there are some fans who would like their entertainment, and I'm going to you know paint with a broad brush. Don't preach politics at me. You sure, can have right. you can have politics in the story. That's fine if it's a natural element in the story and it drives mm. you know it's it's part of what drives the story. But if you're going to preach at me, if you're going to give me message fiction. Then it's the, I'm not interested in that. And there's a whole segment of people who just just tell me a story that's going to entertain me, right? Sure. Maybe mm-hmm. make me think, but don't hit me over the head with that anvil like you right. were talking yeah. and, about. Yeah, and anvilicious is a thing. And the back and forth, basically, you know, there were some people that were talking about some of this new, some of the newer publications, mm. and I'm talking about older publications. 
And they're basically giving me a hard time for not reading all of the new stuff. It's like, well, I don't have any interest in the new stuff. Plus, I don't have time to read the new stuff. I only have, you know, so many hours of the day. And if it doesn't appeal to me, it doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. And I've got a lot of books to read that maybe not necessarily interest me, but from the standpoint of we need to write reviews. Right. Somebody's got to read them and somebody's got to write the reviews. And, and that. Well, and I think I think the the it, it complicates things. It makes it very difficult because where do you start? Well, I think I think there's also this weird thing that happens when you have as many choices as we've got, is that because this stuff ends Tom, up. Thomas says he's got the same problem. Not enough time. Not enough time. Too many things to to watch and yeah. read and review. Well, and th- that really becomes that really becomes the issue. I think for well, not the issue, but part of the issue when it comes to what fans want out of their stories and what gets awards is that because there's so much out there now that sometimes you may have this group of fans who is incredibly vocal and incredibly supportive of this particular title, whether it's a movie or a book or a comic or a podcast or whatever it is, and they are excited and they are enthusiastic and they are going to let everyone know how great this is. And it's going to get people who give awards who sit there and are going to review it and say, this is really, really good. And because the voices sat there and pointed them there, they're not necessarily going to catch this title over here Mm -hmm. because when I go into my podcast, so I did this, I just did this the other day. I'm like, I've got three credits in my audible account. What have I not? What, what, what series do I need to, is there a new episode, a new show, a new book out for? And lo and behold, Two days ago, I sit there and I go into my Audible account and I go, new releases, last two weeks, bam, bam, bam. Three book series that I follow have new novels out. And I'm like, how many more have I missed? That I just, there's three right, right here. Yeah. <clears throat> and I have to do that periodically. And when you look at the size of my Audible account, which is insanely large, um, and the fact that I have like nine different series that I'm following, that the only reason I can follow these series is that I can listen to them while I work. Because about half of my day, half of my day, I'm just like you. I'm doing something where I have to be able to hear. Yeah. And I can't listen to this while I'm working. But half the day I can. And so I still get a chance to get this where I wouldn't norm- or- ordinarily. Right. Well, and I'm constantly getting emails from people offering me books to read. Yeah. And, and stuff to do. And, and I, I decided a while back, uh, actually just a few weeks ago, that we need to be doing more book reviews yeah, we on do. the site. I knew. I need to. The, so I've started making a conscious effort. And I've got, I've got three or four mm-hmm. now that I'm, I've either finished or I'm just, a, you know, I'm almost through and, and do it. And... Now that I finally published the David McDonald interview mm. that's been hanging over me since April. Yeah. Um, it's... That's... And that... I gotta, I gotta admit, that one... There was a certain amount of procrastination on that one. Not just the fact that I've got so many different things that I've got to do yeah. throughout the day and doing with this and all of this. But also there's that certain amount of 
fear, mm. I'll admit to, because this is David McDonald who edited Starlog for yeah. so many years. I mean, he was the guy who made Starlog yeah, what sure. it was. Uh-huh. And you do the interview, and he was very gracious with his time. And I'm doing, I'm, I'm writing the article, I'm writing it, and the article just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. Mm-hmm. And I kept putting it off and putting it off because it, 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 it I, it intimidated me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's David McDonald. And it's, okay, it's David McDonald. Well, you and I, but, you and I had the, the same, a very similar discussion about my doing the Tony Timponi. Yeah. Is that it was, it was a lot, it was a lot of information and it was also kind of like, this guy's important to Yeah, there's to... a lot of self-inflicted pl- uh, pressure on oh, any of that stuff. But I, 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 I've been kicking myself in the last couple of weeks. I was like, I've got to get this done. Yeah. I've got to get it out. I finally got it finished today and put it out. And um, I just wanted to curl up in a corner in a ball and just, <laughs> just, just hide for a while. I was like, oh, I'm finally done with it. It's finally out. But, you know, and, and that's another aspect of fandom where... Nowadays, not so much, but back in the day, the people that were making Starlog, you know, we were following, we we were following them for as for for their material as much as we were following the movies that they covered, yeah, TV shows or the books. Well, and and you and you see it, you still see it to some degree. Do you remember the first the first time I actually came to a, a, well, it was it was. planet it was the first planet i came here it was the first time i you and i started working together and the booth was sitting here and then to our immediate left was michael golden yeah and if you are in my age range michael golden in the 1980s did a lot of cover art for marvel and he was the, well and he did micronauts he did micronauts and um as a young man who uh was an illustrator when I was younger. Uh, and my kid, of course, is an amazing artist who, who got all of my skill in spades. Um, but, and I actually have been doing a lot of design work lately because of my job. Um, and, and so I'm getting, you know, some of the art, I was a painter in, in college and, and about a decade afterwards. Uh, so these are, you know, art was a really part of my life. A lot of that came from falling in love with Michael Golden's art. And he, his art style influenced me greatly when I was doing my own illustration style. Um, it wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't copying his stuff, but a lot of, I could definitely certain things showed in there. And I love the Micronauts comic book. Sure. The first probably 76 issues of that are still some of my favorite storytelling in, in comic books. I remember probably swiping some John Byrne at, uh, at one point or another. Mm-hmm. John, oh yeah, definitely. John Romita. But sitting right next to him, I was kind of like, I am, I don't know, I was what, 38, 39 at the time going, it's Michael Gold. Yeah. It's, 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 it's Michael. <clears throat> yeah. Mr. Golden. <laughs> it's like, seriously. And then I, yet, and then yeah. let, later when talking to David Brin, it's like, this is so amazingly cool. But I wasn't choked up in the same way because sure. at that point we've had the experience of I dealing, talking to these folks on a regular basis. But. When I was... Six, I think. Played soccer for the YMCA. Mm. And it was our, I think it was my second year playing for the Rascals. We were the, we were the Rascals too that year because we were the older Rascals. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. And we won 
they did the they did the um, the championship mm-hmm. and the whatnot, and they had the award ceremony, and we all got little sportsmanship trophies and what uh, the the medals and whatnot, and uh, the guy handing them out was Kyle Rote Jr., who was a soccer superstar. He was on the Dallas mm. Dallas Tornadoes, and I have a photograph of me standing next to Kyle Rote Jr. Yeah. And I'm just bug-eyed. I mean, for me, not so much the fact, oh, you know, this is Kyle Rowe Jr. You know, there was there was certain amount, because I wasn't that big into soccer as far as following players right, or whatever. Sure. But mm-hmm. I knew this is Kyle Rowe Jr. of the Dallas Tornadoes. Right. I knew this was a this was a big deal big to deal, be seen right. here. And then a few years later, we were playing basketball for the YMCA. And we were in a tournament. And Walt Garrison was there for the Dallas Cowboys. His kid was playing on a team. Oh, okay, sure. And there were people who were like, it's Walt Garrison over there. It's Walt Garrison. <laughs> and I I knew Walt Garrison had played for the Cowboys. Right. But Walt Garrison was doing the just between the cheek and gum tobacco commercial, the chewing oh, tobacco right. commercials, right? Sco- uh, was it Skull, I Probably, think? Probably, yeah. He was doing those. And a number of us went over to... To say hi. Sure. Like and I kind of held back. I didn't say anything. My dad encouraged me to shake his hand because he was there. And he you know, was a bunch of kids that are, that are saying he's not going to he's not going to turn away. Um, but I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I was like, this is Walt Garrison. He's a Dallas Cowboy. <laughs> and yep. now you you look at what we do where we're just walking up to celebrities and saying, would you like to do an interview yeah, on camera? Yeah. It's a completely different mindset. But there's still that fandom aspect oh, yeah. of all of the things that we do that just kind of it's it's there will it's always surreal. there will always be that part of me that just sort of giggles a little bit about the fact that um, you know um, Gil Gerard came to a Boy Scout jamboree when I was a kid mm. and I I don't think we have any photos of this I I think I asked my dad about it several years back to ask if we didn't I don't think we'd have any but I got to shake Gil Gerard's hand I got, I got to shake Buck Rogers hand yeah you know it was a thing it was a, and it was it was like really super exciting at the time because uh, you know this TV show had I think the TV show might actually have still been on the air when it happened um, but you know it was yeah and, and that's that's one of the cool things about fandom especially in the um Maybe in the smaller cons, maybe in the the ones you actually aren't quite as overwhelmed by the media. Because there's, there's a you know in, in all fair in all fairness to the studios who come and put on these giant presentations, there's a place for that. I mean, there's sure. no denying. Yeah, well, that, San Diego became the thing for that, and yeah. then and you, out of that, it's spread to other conventions. Yeah, yeah. but there's there's no denying there's not a place where people want to see. The, the latest big thing from Marvel or from Star Wars or from Star Trek or, mm. you know, the big franchises. That stuff is, there's there's a place for that in fandom. There's a place where fans want that. But there's something to be said also for the smaller scale stuff where you actually can walk up to the table and shake Michael Golden's hand or shake, you know, uh, or walk up and, and then take five minutes with, you know, Sylvester McCoy, you know, where, where your son can sit down with Sylvester McCoy and have a chat with... Yes. The Seventh Doctor, Definitely. and you can actually have that, which is really really cool for a fan, um, and and go or go and listen to 
someone talk for 45 minutes or an hour about their career, and they literally will answer your question. And it's you they're talking to. They're, mm. you know, and you're five feet away from them or 10 feet away from them. It's a real cool experience for fans that I think that maybe, maybe, and I don't want to make, this is a blanket statement I really don't want to make, uh, but maybe for the f- people who are just coming in for the Marvel movies um, or or that kind of, you know, the the, the folks who, the, the new arrivals to fandom, right? right? Um, maybe they haven't had a chance to experience that and maybe they don't get to because they are, you know, they're they're just Game of Thrones fans or they're just... Uh, you know, Star Wars fans, or they're just Marvel movie fans, and they don't necessarily have the breadth that you ended up picking up if you were, you know, part of the the Galaxy Quest crowd. Right. You know, the folks who were in the in, in the in the eighties and nineties. And that again, not to not to say that the 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 modern fans aren't are any less fans, but to some respects, maybe they aren't getting the cool stuff that we got. They don't, which okay. I think is unfortunate. They're they're no less legitimate as fans, but they don't have the I don't want I, gravitas that the rest of us. Oh, I certainly have. wouldn't and, use the word gravitas. Well, I, I mean, that's that's not. It, <laughs> well, you know you what know, I'm going for. Yeah, though. No, I mean, but, it's, but, it's but, not. But, I mean, that's that's too, that's too, too not, as a But that's not word, their fault. But, no, they don't, it's not. And, they don't and have, I'm not holding that against them. They, and I think I think something we need to, we need to bear in mind because it really does come down to the you know you're wearing the t-shirt of the band, and you know oh I was a fan before they were cool. Right. Okay, people want to smack those people who say that. <laughs> you know that, right, guys? Uh, and and you should don't do it. It's not nice to hit people, but the the desire to smack them is perfectly human. At because the same time, though, you flip it around though, and some of these new people. Yeah, but you can, know what? Can tend to get bear, not all of them. I know, not, I know. just every but now bear and in again mind, can get a little pretentious. They can, but here's the thing. Like, like I said, we got stuff, and this is what ha- this happens no matter what you do. It doesn't matter what it is, but we got access that they didn't yeah. and they don't, and I think that that's an unfortunate part of it's a, it's an unfortunate side effect of the explosion of the genre world into the wider pop culture is that when we were the folks who were having our conventions over here in the hotel, in the hotel ballrooms and the gallery, you know, like the scenes in, just like the scenes in galaxy quest, that was the con life. That was, there was a fair, you know, uh, funny, but fair, just what con life looked like. And there are still some conventions sure. that are like that. And there's literary conventions especially. And certainly there's nothing wrong with that. And the cool thing about those is you have the access that the big cons don't because yeah. logistically it's just not possible. I remember when we went, one year we went to Smallville mm-hmm. Comic-Con. Manu, Manu Interami was there. Mm-hmm. He, he played one of the Borg kids on yeah. Deep Space Nine. Or, or Voyager, rather. And he... Pulled us mm-hmm. here. Let's do an interview real quick. I've got you know because he was he had this new thing he wanted to talk about. Right? Yeah, sure. You know, Katrina Law was there. We got to see, and it's funny. We I was uh, Mindy and I were at a a, a writers group meeting uh, a few days ago, a little social gathering, mm-hmm. or whatever. Some different writers, and we were talking about our experiences with what we do. Yeah, you know, and being able to do all this stuff. 
And it came up in conversation that most of the time, so so much of this, we talk about, you know, your moment with David Brand and mine with, with uh, Alan Dean Foster. So much of this, we're in work mode. You know, we're the professionals. We're not going to be the fanboy squeeing over here in the corner. And as a result of that, I don't have very many. I, I don't take selfies to begin with very yeah. much. But I don't have that collection of photos with the mm-hmm. celebrities that I interview. And Which sometimes is a real shame. I know it is. But I every now and again, I made... I, I was like, okay, I got to do this. I've got one with Katrina Law. Mm-hmm. I've got one with Ming-Na Wen. Yeah. And that's all I've got. Yeah. I don't have... I mean, we've interviewed hundreds of people. Luckily, we recorded <coughs> the David Brin interview. So there's pictures of me yeah, with David Brin. There's, there's evidence that there's we've evidence done this that happened. And so you can, you can have those. But actually, the, there's something about standing there with them, you know, because a lot of times they'll, you know, they'll mm-hmm. shake your hand or they'll, you know... Uh, depending on on who it is, and some of them are are, are more tactile than others for good and for ill. There's a piece um, of me that wants to go through all of our video and just pull frames, just pull the frames, yeah, and and just see. Line, I was line there the wall and do like but do like that restaurant. That's in not a bad California. idea. You should really do that because you, you you've that. you've had a chance to interview a lot of people, uh, and I think there's some you've gotten some really really great uh, stage moments with some of those folks. So they, yeah. you should definitely take advantage of, of being proud of that. I think that it, um, for for the wider fandom, um, for the folks who maybe think that they're you know they're new to the party and 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 therefore they're they're the pretty ones, um, you know it it would uh, they they will ha- would have a richer experience and and this is just my opinion. Feel free if you're a newer fan to discard mm-hmm. it. Your fandom your fandom is just as valid. Okay, yeah, no question, uh, because my fandom was just as valid. To the people who were fans before me, and it's always the way that is. That it goes just, all the way back to the thirties. Oh yeah, uh, and, and you think fans were rough now? <laughs> you don't even know. Let's talk about the Futurians. Oh, it says, folks, there was it was almost stabby. It almost was. Almost was. Uh, but the the thing is, is that if they if you get a chance, if you're a newer fan, if you're somebody who came in because Game of Thrones was your entry point. Or Star Trek Discovery was your entry point, or uh, uh, Firefly was your entry point. Wherever your entry point is, right, mm. new or old or anything, if you get a chance to go to some of the smaller cons, and you can still find them, a lot of them, you can find them in your city. Um, even yeah. even here, um, when you know when we had uh, we had Planet Comic Con and we had Casey Comic Con, right, and, and now we've got Fountain City. Yeah. Which is the new smaller one. Right. And so we, we can still Casey do Bacon. that. You can still yeah. go to some of these smaller conventions. And the cool thing about these smaller conventions is that you can actually talk to other fans and go to some of these things that we got a lot more of and what Galaxy Quest shows, I think, uh, really, really well, is this sense of community on a small scale where you could actually talk to these. And sometimes you only saw these people at that con every year because they lived far enough away. And of course, back in those days, back in my day, blah, blah, blah. When it actually was, it cost money to make a phone call. Yeah. You couldn't stay in touch with these folks. There was no internet. You know, it was hard. So you would see these guys like once a year. And it was really cool when you saw them again because last year you two had spent time talking about the costume that you did for the costume contest when they were a Dalek 
and you were the fourth doctor. And so you sat there and went, oh, you've got a cool costume and all this stuff. So you would have these like really cool uh, fan, uh, interactions with folks that you wouldn't see or wouldn't necessarily know outside the con world. So the smaller cons, you can still get that. One of the things when we, when, when we did the Hugos, when, when, when it was here, when Worldcon was here, is that you and I kept going, this is so... Feels very much like an 80s. Like an 80s. Con. And yeah. we could walk up to all these people, people that we knew had been in the writing industry for decades, you know, and that's where we interviewed, you know, Bryn and, and uh, Dean Foster. And, and you looked at these folks and you, you know, you, we had access that even if we hadn't been sci fi for me, we could have sat there and walked up and went, This is Helen Dean Foster. Yeah. Hi, I really like your books. And he would sit there and say, Why, thank you. And you'd talk about his books for five minutes. And it's you could funny do that. Because In the smaller uh, cons, you still can. On Disney Plus, mm-hmm. the documentary Empire of Dreams is on. Mm-hmm. It's two hours, it is two and a half hours behind the scenes of the making of the first Star Wars trilogy. Yeah. And there's a piece in there where they have photographs of Charlie Lippicott's presentation. Mm-hmm. And they don't mention where it was. They just talk about, you know, Charlie Lippicott. Right, was yeah, yeah. And, and I looked at many and I said, that was Worldcon. That was Worldcon in 1976 and it was here in Kansas City. Yeah. And you know these things. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I was like, that's kind of cool that I know these things. Yeah. You know? It's, it's fun. Um, but the other thing, too, is... Uh, that that interaction and stuff back and forth with, you know, you can't make the phone calls, but you can write the letters or you can do whatever. You also have the fanzines. Oh yeah, yeah. You know mm-hmm. the the fandom fandom is where, you know, for good or ill, you've got fan fiction. Sure, right, and yeah, yeah. a lot of people writing fan fiction ended up writing professional fiction right, at some sure, point. Uh-huh. Dayton Ward is one of those, and mm-hmm. Crispin was another. Um, you had the fanzines, which nowadays would be the blogs, the sites like ours. Mm-hmm. You know, if we were doing this thirty years ago, right? Yeah, this would be this stuff would, would be mailed. we'd be printing this on a mimeograph machine with the purple ink, and we'd staple them together, and we'd mail them. Mm-hmm. They'd be like fifty cents. Having said that. I know. I'm thinking about doing that. I'm thinking about doing it, doing something like that in in 2020. Yeah. Because the there are so many sites, there's so many websites, and it's been pointed out we do a lot of heavy promotion of our video content, mm-hmm. and that's kind of to the detriment of the dot com. Yeah. Um, the the art of the interview that I posted today, the interview with David McDonald that I posted today, it's the first thing I've pub- we've published in 13 days. Yeah. And some of that is staff turnover. Um, some of that is, you know, we're all scattered to the four winds right now doing a, a lot of different things. But then, you know, part of that also is I need to figure out what we're going to do with the dot com. Yeah. Which is where the book reviews and stuff come in, where mm-hmm. we put more in, you know, put more effort into that. And I've got some ideas for that that, that I'm not ready to get into yet. But, um, you know, we've got to do some thinking for 2020. What are we going to do? And uh, Peter Samedi and, and Alterna Comics have this thing called the print, uh, the, the, the 
print partnership mm-hmm. where you can gang your material to his in the print run ah, and sure. everybody yeah. saves money because now it becomes a big bulk run, mm-hmm. right? Right, yeah. It's got to it's got to be at the comic book size. Mm-hmm. But you could print your book in tandem with Alterna's comic books on the the newsprint. Right, sure. And yeah. do it like the old school, you know, comic books from the 70s. And I've gotten a few Alterna books and the color on those newsprint really holds color pretty well in in the modern printing process. Sure, right, yeah. And it doesn't it's not like, you know, that Justice League 179 where you open it up and, you know, you've got the dot matrix and the, and right, the sure, color right, separation yeah. and whatnot. You still offset press, but it's a much better quality. Mm-hmm. And technology's better. And I think to myself, we could do something like this. Yeah. And I even have come across the chemical recipe for <laughs> mimeograph ink. And I'm thinking to myself, we could do this kind of thing where it could just be interviews and essays and reviews and whatnot, things that aren't necessarily the breaking news. Sure, right. And we could do something and print it and send it out every month and, you know, a dollar or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's, this be our, our zine and bring that back and be be a little nostalgic. And the people who are new to fandom can get some some sense of what it was like to be in the fandom back well, in the day. Well, not only that. I mean, it's it's I actually like that idea a lot. Um because uh there's there is there's such a thing as too much nostalgia. And we've talked about that before too. Yeah. Um but there's something to be said when when you have things like like Fangoria coming back as a print magazine. Uh, there's a reason it did, and there's a reason why they sat there. And went, this is a good idea. No, it's because there's always going to be that percentage of people who want the tactile, tactile thing in their hand. Um, why the bookstore never went away, thank goodness, and why the internet didn't break the independent book stealers. Um, this is, as somebody who you know has been a book dealer, who's a heavy reader or a heavy listener now, um, the you know the fact that that the internet didn't e-readers are fine there's nothing wrong with e-readers however yeah. i want a book in my hand yeah, me too. um overall and and so i think that that's there's always going to be something to be said for that but yeah again modern fandom the new folks welcome to the party happy to have you but just play nice you you there are things that you you got you get now that i didn't have you get instant you get instant feedback sometimes from the creators mm. that can be really really cool sometimes sometimes not sometimes not um, but you can have the really cool sometimes instant feedback from the creator mm-hmm. that that creator can look at you and say hey nice to see you and then and you've got this instant connection um, which is great and then sometimes but you're also missing out on some of the things that we had to have because the technology wasn't there or because some of the limitations that we had to deal with opened up new avenues. So there's some of that. And that's just the way that's just the way the world, you know, yeah. time time marches on, that's how it works. But there's some of that cool stuff that would be cool to have back. Well, and the zines were places where you could find original fiction sometimes. Oh, yeah. You know, people, yeah. Go, people would write short stories and they mm-hmm. put them in those things. And sure. maybe only 50 people saw them, 
but it was a place where people could start publishing some of mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So yeah, there's there's I think there's some real potential there. We well, and honestly, if you you wouldn't bit. have you wouldn't have magazines like Starlog or Fangoria if you hadn't had yeah the fanzine world in accompaniment to things like Isaac Asimov magazine and and some of the other. Uh, well, because you've got Astounding and you've got Asimov, sure. you've got Analog and and you know, all of those, um, where. Yeah, a lot of that's printing, you know, a lot of that's publishing fic- works of fiction mm-hmm. in those books. But the zines, the the fanzines created the market. It, it's, it showed that there was a market for right. the the news, right. behind mm-hmm. the scenes type of stuff that you'd get from Gorezone and Cinefantastique, Omni, and, Omni yeah. and, and right. uh, Femme Fatales and Starlog and mm-hmm. all of those. So I, there's still hope that Starlog will come back. There is. And honestly, it's a realistic hope. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a thought that you would sit there and, you know, five years ago. No. No. Um, well, the thought of getting, I mean... I saw it, it got posted in the Starlog fan group on, on mm-hmm. Facebook. Um, there's a company called Fright Rags. They do, t- uh, they do licensed t-shirt stuff. Oh, sure. Okay. And they have, and I don't know if you're going to remember this or not, there was a Starlog t-shirt that had the logo inside the Sun, the sun Corona you know the little. I think so. Yeah, yeah. The the ring of fire around. Mm-hmm. Fright Rags has it. Oh it's really? Out. Yeah, it's available. Nice. And I think they've got a, they've got a they've got a distressed Fangoria T-shirt as well. Um, so you know that nostalgia factor is playing into that. I'm wondering how well they're selling. That's a good question. Uh, yeah. I, I, and I and and I'm wondering if it's one of those test things sure. to see, okay, how well is the Starlog stuff gonna sell? What's the interest level there? I think we should so, figure out what you and I need to get each other for Christmas. I it could very well be it's on my list. Yeah. I I got uh I got my kid his major big Christmas thing over the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. On the off chance that he listens to this show, I'm not going to say what it is. Uh, that would be best. But uh, yeah, I, I, he's going to like it. Because, see, and and that's another thing. You know, you've got kids his age mm-hmm. that are finding some of this stuff. He's a real big Godzilla fan, and and mm. you know, there you have those yeah. stories. Um, you've got the Ninja Turtles. You've got all of the anime. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Star Blazers and Battle of the Planets and and. Robotech, you know, those things, and now that you've got Disney Plus, you know the the X Men animated series from the nineties is is there. Oh, Gargoyles sure, is right, there. Yeah. Uh-huh, right. Um, and so there's this new opportunity for people to discover all of this stuff that we grew up with. Yeah, and so, some of it holds up pretty fun. well. Yeah, it Gargoyles does. actually holds up pretty well. Yeah, and people are still wanting a Gargoyles movie. So, and I do, and I don't. Yeah, it's just got to be written well. Yeah, that's that's the key. All right, so I guess maybe we're talked out. I think so. <laughs> Close to two hours. <sighs> so yeah, so it, it's 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 a fun it's a fun time to be a fan most of the time. It's 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 a challenge sometimes. This there's no question, but I think that yeah, overall, the opportunity, the the range of stuff that's out there for people. 
the fact that because there is so much, there's something probably for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely want to see the Galaxy Quest documentary. Oh, I do too. That's that looks like uh, I, I'm. I, I've overall, I enjoy the Screen Junkies offerings, and uh, I, this is. Uh, there's no question in my mind that they actually care about what they do. So mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to because like clearly they they are excited about putting this out. Yeah. So that that's always a good sign. All right, so that's going to do for us this evening. Thanks very much for those of you who uh, uh, jumped in and made comments in the yeah. chat. Uh, it's good Thank to you. have conversations with everybody that's here. That's what we're talking about, actually. This whole thing that's has been about that conversation, right. really. So. If you are a new fan for us, mm -hmm. if you're new to the channel, don't forget, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell so you know when we post new content. Yeah. And we do that every week. We've got new stuff happening every week. Um Tomorrow, Tuesday, we've got a new Triple Bites, which is the Star War, uh, Star Trek and Orville news. And then Good Morning Multiverse, Saturday morning. And next week, we've got new Salacious Crumbs and Tartar Sauce right. and Rancor Pit. So there's always something new coming down the pike. So mm -hmm. uh, hit the notification bell. Feel free to share the links with your friends yeah. if you are so inclined. And if, like I said, if you want to donate, you want to support us financially, there are options for that as well. You can find the links in the show notes. So um, thank you very much Thanks, for guys. being here. We do appreciate everybody who is here, especially all of our regulars. We thank you. We would not be able to do this without people coming to see what we do. Yeah. So. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll see you again next week. Copyright 2019 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.